With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From Variety, celebrating more than 115 years covering the business of entertainment, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. You know, this feeling that you have to be perfect all the time and you have to look a certain way and you have to be the best mom and you have to be the coolest mom and the best wife and have the perfect party house and everything is fabulous all the time. I kind of feel like the women in my family have sort of had a version of that, you know, where you just, you know, you put a smile on everything. In playing accused murderer Candy Montgomery, Jessica Biel had to approach the role as someone more than just a villain, and indeed there was something completely relatable about the character. I'm Michael Schneider, and on this edition of the Variety Awards Circuit Podcast, we talk to Candy star and executive producer Jessica Biel about adapting the real-life crime story. After that, we chat with Winning Time, the Rise of the Lakers Dynasty star Adrian Brody about playing iconic Los Angeles Lakers coach Pat Riley. It's all next on this edition of the Variety Award Circuit Podcast. Stay close. In 1980, Texas homemaker Candy Montgomery was accused of murdering Betty Gore, the wife of the man she was involved with. It was a crime no one saw coming, and that was part of the reason Jessica Biel was drawn to play the role in Hulu's limited series Candy. Starring opposite Melanie Linsky and Pablo Schreiber, Beale completely transformed, wig, glasses and all, into the character. She also worked double duty as an executive producer on The Gory Project. Are you okay? I'm fine. Candy, where have you been? Betty and I got to talking. Hey, Candy. Have you seen Betty at all today? Candy, you can't be perfect all the time. Friday's Emily Longaretta sat down with Jessica Biel to talk about starring and executive producing Candy and what brought her to the story. The initial interest and I guess what my the the reason my my interest was peaked initially was the elegant writing. There were a few episodes that we were able to read that they had already, Robin and Nick, our, our writers and showrunners had already written those first two episodes. So we were lucky enough to be able to read something kind of, you know, in, in, a, in a more developed form. The nonlinear storytelling, just the subtlety, the, the feeling of oppression, that like suburban oppression, the mundanity of these people's lives, it just kind of like flew off the page mm-hmm. and was, you know, at times you know, just stiflingly terrifying and also just normal and cool and nice and great and funny. And and then, you know, it's, it's quite oddly funny until it's not, you know? So I just, I loved the writing to begin with. And then I started to, you know, learn about the story. I had never heard of the story before, which did surprise me because I'm a huge true crime fan. And I listen to a lot of podcasts and I feel like I'm kind of up to speed on a lot of these, you know, 
intriguing true crime stories, especially from the past, but I didn't know this one. So once I really started to dive into, okay, who is this person? What is the story? How did this ending happen this way? And then I got really interested in why and how did this very normal woman, seemingly very normal, suburban, upstanding pillar of the community, good mother, good wife, nice human. How did she do this? How did this, how did she commit this crazy act of violence? So that was sort of capped it. Like I thought, okay, I'm, I'm into this. I'm curious about this. I, I, I like these characters who are normal people and then have these weird triggering moments and do things that are out of their own character. Yeah. I mean, and I always find it fascinating when a show is, you know, focused on technically the villain, which obviously she is, but she's not, you know, she's not like wearing a black hat and wearing, you know, it's a different kind of angle on that. So I'm curious how, how you kind of approached that as playing, you know, the antagonist, but also someone that people want to keep watching for multiple episodes, because that that's not always an easy balance. Yeah. The anti-hero or the anti-heroine, right. Is what I guess is kind of colloquially, we call, we call that. Um, or the un like untrust un, what's what's it called the uh, like untrusting narrative narrator that's what it is something like that um, that's the challenge right that's the challenge is is okay this person did some crazy stuff and how do you make her lovable how can we make the audience fall in love with her and that was my whole goal is I wanted to create this person that you really, really were conflicted. You know, you were with her, you're with her, you're with her, you're with her. And then wait a minute, I'm not sure if I'm with her. And then as the story unfolds, you kind of, you you empathize with the actions, you get it on some level, you know, you connect on a human level in some way. um, And you're still kind of with her at the end. I mean, that's, that's what I hoped to create. I'm not sure if it was a hundred percent successful, but How do you do it? I guess is the question. Um, You just have to have so much empathy and you have to really fall in love with your character and you really have to not, I didn't play this character like she was the villain. I really just played her like a woman who, who had a lot of regrets and a lot of shame and had been taught to interact with the world in a certain way. And oops, guess what? She doesn't actually believe everything she says. And all of this stuff has been underneath the surface. And now it's just the volcanoes exploded, you know, Um, and I have empathy for that. So that was my angle in. And that worked because as an audience member, we, we have empathy, even though obviously she does something awful. I'm, I'm curious how, I mean, I feel like for an actor, especially like you said, you don't want to, you can't view her as a villain and when you're playing her, you can't, you know, view her that way. How did you draw those parallels to her? How did you relate to her and tap into her? I mean, I think there are so many things that she's experiencing that every human has experienced, specifically women have experienced, you know, this feeling that you have to be perfect all the time and you have to look a certain way and you have to be the best mom and you have to be the coolest mom and the best wife and have the perfect party house and everything is fabulous all the time. I kind of feel like the women in my family have sort of had a version of that, you know, where you just, you know, you put a smile on everything. And I I do that. 
in my life. And I'm working really hard to not do that. I'm working really hard to be really authentic and it's getting easier. It's been a long journey. I've been working on this for many years. So I really connected to that feeling of I'm really mad and I don't know how to communicate that because I have been hiding it for so long, or I don't feel comfortable with this. I'm, you know, and I don't know how, I don't have the tools to communicate what I need. And I, I think that, I think Candy really didn't have the tools and she was brought up in a way that didn't give her any of the right equipment to, to be able to have a mature relationship with a partner or with a friend or with anyone and really be able to be authentic to what she was feeling. And I just understand that feeling. I feel like I've done that a lot in my life. Um, And I think, you know, other things like this idea of, well, just this, you know, these regrets that people might feel about their lives and different decisions that they may have made that you think a lot about and wish you had made a different decision. Like I get that. I feel that I've experienced that in my life. And I feel like she experiences that. I guess probably those areas are, are were my tap in to my parallel to the parallels of my life and her life, mm-hmm. and where I could really understand having a trigger moment where I just, you know, all the years that I've you know said it's okay, I feel good, everything's fine, you know, then it just comes flying out. That was my way into how I could really connect with her and her life. And it seems that's, I mean, in today's world, that's something that I think people experience more and more because especially with social media, we show the best part and that's not that everyone's great and everything's perfect. And that's not, you know, reality. So sometimes we lose it for a few minutes. <laughs> so hundred yeah. percent, obviously I want to ask about the surprise guests we see in this because something <laughs> that obviously people are very excited about. And I love that it's Jason and Justin. I think it's so cool that it's both of them. Tell me a little how that came about and how, I mean, it's so cool that the characters and how it kind of is this meta situation. So tell me a little how that came about. I am too, by the way, really excited about the combination of the two of them. Um, Really what happened was, I mean, Justin and I, we, we sort of, we share projects a lot in terms of, Hey, read this. I really like it. Can you have any notes? What are you thinking? What, What do you think about it? Should I do it? Or I'm doing this, but. I'm curious, you know, another perspective. We're just throwing scripts around at each other all the time for those kinds of, you know, development reasons. And he was reading Candy and um, he just, he loved the episodes too. And he said, well, who's playing this guy? Who's playing Steve Defabaugh? And I said, oh, I don't know. Somebody probably an Atlanta local. We, We don't really have any money left. We sort of spent it all on our main cast. And this is one of our last, you know, cast members that we need to cast. So I don't know, it's, but it's just going to be somebody local, like a great local up and coming person or something. And he said, I want to do it. And I really thought, okay, that's, that's funny. I'd love for you to do this, but I know that's not really for real. He's like, no, 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 for real. I see the way in. I see how funny he could be, but also, you know, he's the one who really sees through her story he's this major adversary for her. I mean, from the very beginning, he doesn't believe it for one second, you know? And, um, I I said, are you serious? And he's, I'm serious. And so I jumped on my phone, called my producing partner, Michelle. I said, okay, Justin wants to do this part. She goes, I already know. I've already been speaking to him. I was like, of course you guys already know. And then we just called Robin, our, our showrunner and our creator. And, 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 and she, like us was totally taken by surprise thrilled by the idea. They sat down and had a meeting with Nick and with Mike up and all our, our number one and number five director. 
All he wanted was prosthetic belly and a wig. And he goes, you don't have to pay me anything. Just make sure I have my wig that I want. Make sure I have a prosthetic belly. And we were like, we can do that. (laughs) So that's how that happened. And then, you know, maybe a couple of weeks later, we're still trying to cast this other character. Robin called Melanie and I and said, what do you guys think? What if Jason played uh, the other deputy? And then when we do the reenactment in episode five, he's playing Betty and Justin's playing you playing they're playing their characters, playing your characters. We are like, our heads exploded. You know, we were like, this is amazing. It was so funny. We just laughed so hard about the idea. And it just turned out so beautifully because those two, they should literally have their own like, like cop buddy comedy. They're so funny together. Jason is a literal, I mean, we already know Justin is like a comedic genius, but Jason is unbelievable. I mean, not, it's not a surprise, but wow. I just, it was amazing to watch them work together. What was it like for you? I mean, sitting across from him, even at the table and, you know, being in the him, he, like you said, he was the first one that kind of saw through her and kind of said like, well, did you do it? Because it's like, you immediately saw it. So it must've been interesting for you guys to take on these different characters in this, those scenes together. Yeah. I mean, it, it was nerve wracking at first. I felt a little like, oh gosh, am I going to be able to be free? And are my nerves going to get the best in me? Because now it's my partner sitting across from me and you know, I wasn't sure, but it was the total opposite. It was so comfortable and easy to improvise. And they were making, you know, this, this environment on set, which was kind of more fun than it normally was because they're really improvising together. And so it sort of gave me a freedom to do that too. And I think he's just a, he's a big supporter of mine. And, you know, I just mean like in our relationship and in, at work and privately, personally. So he was, he was just holding a lot of good sacred space for me to feel comfortable. And I was doing the same for him. I hope he felt the same way, but it was, it was a lot of fun being adversaries. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like it, did it make you guys want to work together again? Cause I think that could be so cool. Yeah, it did. I mean, I think we've always been kind of curious, like, well, when is that going to happen and what should it be? And it has to be the right thing. You know, I feel like, you know, if you're going to play romantic leads or something, that's a really particular thing. You got to do it really well. This is a really safe place to sort of explore what it's like to be on opposite sides. And then what's the next step from here? Like, what what can we do after this? It definitely opened up my mind to thinking about other things we can work together on. I wanted to ask you about kind of the roles that you've chosen more recently. And obviously, since you and Michelle have teamed up, years ago, but have created obviously with the center and with real summer and, but the things that you're specifically acting into, how is it for you? What goes into choosing the right role for you now? Does it go into timing and location? Is it more subject matter based? Like, what is it for you that really draws you to some of the project now? I mean, it's definitely subject matter based. It's definitely character driven. Is it something new that I've never done before? I'm always intrigued about that. Can I transform physically in some way? is, am I terrified? You know, do I look at this and go, I have no idea how to do this, but I really want to do it. That's something I'm looking for. I'm looking for that sort of nervy butterfly kind of feeling. And then all those other factors, they do come into play now. I mean, I have two kids and they're little and I have to think about that. You know, my husband also has a big job and it depends on what he's doing at the time and what, where are we? And can we can one of us be home, you know, is really kind of 
the idea that we are trying to manage. It doesn't always happen, but um, all of those factors come into play. But if there's something that I cannot say no to because this character is so unbelievably complex and I, oh my gosh, I'm so excited about it. Like, we'll, we'll make it work, you know? And that goes, that kind of goes both ways. Mm-hmm. I think also if there were, if it was a right director that I, you know, haven't had the chance to work with, I, that would be a big factor too, or, or a particular actor or actress, you know, that would make a difference. Yeah, of course. Of course. Um, when it comes to shooting the more intense, I would say, I mean, the show's a bit gory. <laughs> are there yeah. moments that are a bit gory? What was that like for you? How did you kind of prepare to get into those more, those more intense dark scenes? Well, weirdly enough, I've been a part of a lot of gory stuff yeah. in my career. <laughs> I think back my, I'm kind of desensitized to sticky fake blood and fake weapons and things like that. <laughs> Not to say that this was, you know, I don't want to trivialize what happened here because I think the key to what we were trying to do is not glorify this violence, but also present the violence the way that it was described in the court documents, which, and what we're saying behind the, you know, what we're saying with the show is this is one side of the story. This is not Betty's story. This is Candy's story. Betty is not here to tell her side. So we really don't know what actually happened. We know one side of it. And we needed to be respectful of that. So if we, we, in terms of the gory parts, we followed very clearly what Candy said happened via the the evidence documents, the court documents. So... We didn't mean to make it gory. It just was. And in terms of preparing for that, it's a hard thing to prepare for. I think you just have to prepare psychologically for what the character is experiencing and this trigger moment that happens. And it's almost like a blackout. Like she describes it as she she wasn't even there. She was looking at herself doing this thing, like an out-of-body experience is sort of the way it read to me. So that gives you a little bit of, gives me freedom as an artist to sort of go outside of my body, right? As, as we're doing these horrible, gory bits and then kind of connect back to it at some point and then really more than anything, be so present that you can see what you've done and react to that. So that's kind of the way I've was looking at those sequences. Yeah, absolutely. Well, before I go, I need to ask about Girl Summer because I'm a huge fan, one of my favorite shows of last year. So obviously we know that changes are coming in season two. And I mean, when you guys did The Sinner, I assume you kind of went through the same kind of thing as to like what now is where to go with these characters. But I want, I'm curious how you feel about this new group coming in, this new story, because, and if there's any fear, because people really fell in love with those season one characters. Yes, I mean, there's, there's a ton of fear and risk, right? When you're taking a show that was, that had a great first season where people loved it and really started to connect to these people and then completely take them all away and bring a whole new cast of characters. It's a huge risk. Are we nervous? Yes. Were we nervous for the sinner too? Yes. But thinking about the sinner, we, we had a lot of discussion about, do we bring Cora back? Is there a way to to keep this story going for multiple seasons? And it sort of feels similar to what happened with Cruel Summer as well in terms of the story and in terms of what happened at the very last episode to both of those characters. Cora's going into a mental institution for two years. 
So when she comes out of that, what do we have? Is it a season just of her in a mental institute? Is it a her? Is it a season of her coming out of that, having lost her family? Not probably her marriage. Probably does. You know, all this stuff. We're like, this is depressing. Like nobody, we thought as a creative team, like that is just not a strong entry for a female protagonist. Then what happens? Does she like start? Is it a buddy buddy thing? Like, does she start helping solve? It was it was complicated, and it just didn't seem. It didn't seem like the best way to serve the show. It kind of broke all of our hearts a little bit. We, I was kind of even into it too. Like if we could find a way in, we would have done it. Same thing a little bit with Cruel Summer. At the end, when you really realize who Jeanette is and what she did, is that the way to start the next season? I mean, sure, we could have, but where do we take her from there? Does she then become a part of more controversy and more? It felt like we were it felt like it was going to be a little hard to believe. And we really, really tried to pride ourselves in grounding that show in a reality, in real base, reality base. So when crazy things start to happen, you believe it. And, and, and we're not asking you to, you know, uh, sort of disband your belief, you know, to something that's outrageous. We want to really tell complicated stories for young people in this show. and things that that really change them profoundly and make them make decisions and watch them make bad decisions <laughs> as we all did when we were little. So that's kind of the parallels to that. That's at least the way I felt about it. I'm not totally sure how Michelle feels or how the rest of our creative team specifically felt, but that was a big reason why we sort of shifted our, our focus to, okay, new story, new mystery, new cast. Mm-hmm new time period. That also gave us the opportunity to jump forward in time in a big way. I mean, we could have done that too, I guess, no matter what, but we just felt that that was the best way to serve the show and what we were trying to say and the stories we were trying to tell for that show. Yeah, absolutely. Is there any, are we in the same world as those season one characters? Like, is there a world that one of them could pop up in the future? I mean, there's definitely a world, right? Where one could pop up for sure. Those characters still exist, you know, in in some ulterior universe. It was hard. I mean, really, we, some of our greatest, some of my most, you know, close confidants and mentors were saying, you cannot get rid of these characters. You cannot not have Jeanette and Kate. And I was like, I know, but what do we do with them? You know? Um, So there's always a possibility. Yeah, just having like having coffee in the background somewhere. Right. <laughs> right. Just just having coffee. And then just somebody glances at them and goes, <laughs> and then that's it. Right. <laughs> yes. I mean, dropping little Easter eggs and things like that. We do that a lot on, in, in this show. And we thought about a bunch of different ways to sort of have them somewhat in, but not really. But then we thought, well, how can we ask these amazing actors who were our leads in this first season to come and play? A, a very small part in the next season. I, I, it just was not adding up, you know? Yeah. A cameo is one thing, but sort of like a CCD storyline might not make any sense for them either. Well, so a lot of, a lot of moving parts really. Absolutely. Well, we like to wrap our, our awards podcast with some silly questions. The first is maybe I've asked it the question people ask you the most about this particular project. Sure. Um, I think the, probably the most is, why did you want to do this? You know, what is it about the character and the story that was so interesting? Yeah. 
All right. A TV show in history that you wish you were part of. Oh my gosh. So many shows. Uh, my, my so-called life Sopranos. Oh gosh. Say yes to the dress. <laughs> I love that show. <laughs> so good. What would people be surprised that you watch? Maybe a guilty pleasure. I guess you just said one, but I did kind of just out myself pretty badly. I like, Oh, I, I, I don't think they have any more seasons, but like Lego masters. I love watching with my son, like genuinely love watching that show. <laughs> Say yes to the dress. I am a crazy, like weirdo history fan. So I watch all the strange world war two random discovery show shows and, you know, all the, all the things on ancient Egypt. I love watching to the dead, like the poor, uh, the demise of my husband is just like dying of boredom on the couch, but <laughs> you're on the edge of your seat. I love, like I love it. I love it. I love mummies. What hobby would you be doing if you didn't have your day job? If you had, if you had more time, what hobby? Yeah. What hobby? I love, love, love to read books and I, just for pleasure. I read a lot for work. I read books for work too, but honestly, I'm one of those people that could literally just sit alone and just fall into an imaginary world of a book. So I love, I love doing that, but I also, I could literally just be outside hiking, snowboarding, doing every sort of outdoor mountain activity you could think of and be very, very content doing that forever. I love what is a good food that you can cook? Oh, I am. I make a killer oatmeal, which sounds so lame, but it's a, I think it's underrated oatmeal. Mm-hmm. I mean, my family eats it like breakfast, lunch, and dinner, whenever it's the go-to, if someone's not feeling well, if I just can't get food in the baby, we go to go back to the oatmeal. I do that pretty well. Always works. All right. Last but not least, besides your show, of course, what are you rooting for? this Emmy season? That's a good question. Uh, well, I, I really, really, I loved the dropout. I loved watching that. I thought she was just fantastic. I thought, um, she was amazing. I'm watching, watching and finishing girl from Plainville. And also I love the great, I think Elle's amazing. Um, I'm, I've been watching severance, which, I mean, I don't necessarily know what's going on in terms of like who's in the running for these things, but I'm just thinking of shows that are just recently out. I'm well, really all of them, right? Yeah. Also, I'm really excited for the staircase. You've seen it. Oh, you have a good job. Can't wait. Um, I'm so excited. Cause that was Antonio who did our, did center first season, like one, two, three. I'm a huge fan of his. I was a huge fan of that documentary. What an intriguing story. What a great cast. I'm really excited for The Staircase. Jessica, thank you so much. And congratulations. Candy is so, so great. So thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. That's Candy star and executive producer Jessica Beale. The show is now streaming on Hulu. And after the break, winning time star Adrian Brody. From Los Angeles, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. (laughs) 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we're back. It's the Variety Award Circuit Podcast. I'm Michael Schneider. We just talked to Jessica Beal about playing a real-life individual in a fictionalized project. And now we've got another. HBO's Winning Time, The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty stars John C. Riley as Dr. Jerry Buss, who has a dream of adding some flash to the NBA by buying the Lakers, recruiting rookie sensation Magic Johnson, played by Quincy Isaiah, and turning it into the hottest ticket in Los Angeles. Well, spoiler alert, he did succeed, but there were plenty of bumps along the way, and that included the journey before winding up with the right coach. We know that would eventually be Pat Riley, but in season one of Winning Time, Pat, played by Adrian Brody, is still an assistant coach under temporary coach Paul Westhead. And even that role is threatened as Buss's original coach, the injured Jack McKinney, is nursed back to health. Uh, Pal, can, can you turn this up a minute? It's good to get eyes on him now. We might see him later on in the season. You've been holding it together for a while now. But it must be nice to have McKinney travel with the team again. Yeah, well, Jack's still got a road ahead. You don't expect him back for playoffs. You shanty Irish New York cocksucker, fuck you. You first. I don't, uh, I don't speak for Jack or anybody else, but, uh, the way the team's playing under Paul, we got a good thing. Everybody's happy. Changing horses midstream, that's, uh, oh, that's just a big risk. When Pat Riley first enters winning time, he hasn't yet turned into the coach with the Armani suits and slick back hair. In 1979, he's trying out to do color commentary with Lakers announcer Chick Hearn, but ultimately he realizes his true calling. But we're not there yet, which means we'll likely see more of Pat Riley's evolution in season two. I recently spoke with Brody about the unique gig of playing a fictional version of Pat Riley. Given the pacing of the show, I asked him what he knew about how the story would unfold. It's always a work in progress. It's, it was being written and, and evolving as I signed on. But I knew that there would be this uh, slow progression, kind of Pat Riley earning his stripes. And, um, you know, that was, it was fascinating to learn about that because I think one thing that I realized I kind of took for granted, I think it's what the show does so well is it shows how everybody has to overcome all these trials and tribulations and, to get to that place. And, and uh, I just feel like, I think we're in for, it seems to be people are responding to the show. And I think we're in for a nice run, which would be wonderful. And I think it'll take that just historically for Pat to get to the Pat Riley that we all know and, and, yeah. uh, and love. And so I, I feel like, you know, I was, I was aware of it. It was, was something that I knew was coming. I, I just didn't know what a transformation it was for him personally. Yeah. And that, that came after doing the research, but I, I definitely knew that this would be, um, you know, and it's a wonderful arc. I think it's a really wonderful arc. Um, and it's given me even greater appreciation for the man. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an interesting arc and, and it start you start out a little bit as comic relief. I mean, watching Pat Riley try to be play by play and having Chick Hearn, who uh, is, is a little more uh, out there than, uh, you know, we remember him. 
I mean, I think they were they were pals. I mean, Chick is was a big reason, you know, but it was, it was very helpful to Patrick. So I feel like that is, um, you know, it's a fun it's a fun dynamic within within the storytelling for yeah. sure. But you know, it wasn't his calling clearly. And I and I've done quite a bit of research. And I've seen Pat talk, and Pat is actually quite um, well spoken and eloquent, even when he's depicting those things. So there, there is a bit of comic relief in the storytelling, but what they're capturing is the the struggle for him. And he was, in addition to this kind of color man announcer, at that period, he was also like a travel coordinator and, and working these, these kind of low level positions. And, you know, it's amazing. You know, he had a lot to offer and, and uh, it's amazing. He had the tenacity and the access ultimately to finally, for all of these life events to, to transpire for him to be in that position to become assistant coach at that time and ultimately coach it's an amazing story yeah kind of right right time right place obviously um what uh by the way what was have you ever tried your hand at you know sports play by play was that anything that ever interested you did, did you watch a lot of announcing that? for me i mean i'm no i my brain doesn't work in quite a as linear a fashion i mean i feel like i I see a lot, you know, my mother's a photographer and I feel like a lot of what she possesses, which I believe is an innate ability, not something that is just uh, something that she's cultivated is very similar to how I am as an actor. And I connect to things and see things in an emotional way and absorb details in a very emotional memory. And so it's difficult for me to analytically dissect something um, right directly because I have a whole several other things going on for me that I'm processing and absorbing. And, and that's the way that it works for me. So I don't think I'd be the, the right candidate to do that. I'm sure it's something I could work towards, but I, it takes me time to process things and find my way rather than to have to, you know, spell it out for, for everybody, you know, in an audio. Well, I know you, uh, so you grew up obviously on the East Coast. I know you've said that you were a Knicks fan growing up, but obviously you grew up, I think we're around the same age. You grew up in the era of Showtime Lakers. So you were very aware of what was going on with the team. What do you kind of remember for, from the time and, and what you remember growing up of, of Magic and Kareem and, and just that whole squad? I just remember, I mean, I've always liked the Lakers a lot. And then you know, I've spent a lot of my years kicking around in LA as an actor, as a young man, you know, there. And so I've watched a lot of games and, uh, you know, they, they're, they're amazing. They're, they're some of the greatest players ever. Kareem and magic changed, you know, the way we basketball, as we know it, like that whole showtime era kicked in with them and, and that, and this time period that's being depicted by the show, obviously. But, that fast break basketball. And so that, I mean, I was pretty young still. So I feel like, um, you know, I remember Pat Riley from those days. Uh, yeah. yeah. And what, uh, he just left a real indelible impression on me. And I, I, um, it's a funny thing. Cause I couldn't tell you many other coaches from that time. And you know what I mean? It's like, so it's, yeah. it's rare for a coach to leave that impression. Of course you watch what everyone's doing and, you see how they handle certain things, and but I guess his his 
he really cut a very sharp image of what a coach would be. Yeah, well, I mean, he was as big a star at one point as his players. It's, you know, this imposing figure uh, on the sidelines wearing those suits and, of course, mm-hmm. slick back hair. It was it was like kind of just the combination of things and the fact that he was in L.A. and easily accessible to sort of turn into a, a celebrity in his own right. So and what's what's exciting about your show is that we haven't seen that yet. So there's a lot still to come. And that's kind of it's always interesting when you do a show that's sort of, you know, adapted from real life. That's sort of a take on on some beats that we know, like we're kind of expecting certain things. They've been teasing all season the moment that Pat starts slicking his hair back. We haven't gotten there yet, but he's been looking in the mirror a couple of times. And then <laughs> these interesting moments where they've even done a quick flash of of an older Pat Riley looking in the mirror. So they're they're definitely having some fun teasing something that we're all waiting for and, and all expecting. So that's got to be kind of interesting when, when you're working on a project like this where people sort of know certain things are going to happen and they're expecting it and they're curious, how is the show going to do this? Yeah, I mean, I, I have that same anticipation myself. Uh, you know, it's a... Uh... It's exciting. It's uh, knowing the, the the success that he has achieved and the personal growth and everything. I, I always look at it as a bit like, you know, it's like really having faith <laughs> because you have to believe that it's doable. And he's not in a, in a position, you know, he's going through this phase that things aren't always working in his favor and they're, they're starting to, but it's a lot of work to get there. And it's kind of a, a reminder to have faith. You need to you need to believe that something is achievable to achieve that. You can't expect to achieve those things. And I think it's it's a really interesting thing in the, in the reading that I've done of Pat's own writings and his books. He conveys such a a need for preparedness for the inevitable obstacles that come. In beyond being an athlete and beyond teamwork and and working collectively in that sense that's all a priority but your own personal preparation for you know whatever it is your own demons the 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 obstacles that come up on a on a day-to-day basis and and how to meet those challenges and and he's a it's a really inspiring character to play you know but but I guess I digress, but what I'm trying to get at is because I know and we know what's to come, it's kind of fun to to dig in deep to the to the moments where he's it's not really flowing. Yeah. Yeah. It's about the about the journey. Now, speaking of of preparation, you know, obviously the 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 question when you're playing a, a living figure is how much did you want to reach out or did you decide you didn't want to reach out to, to the actual Pat Riley? What was sort of your thinking and, and how you wanted to research the, the, the man, you know, actually in person versus not. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's important to honor the person you're playing and to do the work and the research and, and, you know, uphold the, the image and um, the, the personality and the, and the characteristics of that individual, you know, I've, I've, I've had to do this in, in many occasions and in many roles and, you know, and it's a, it's a responsibility and, and you also have a responsibility to honor the, the script and the work that's being written. And, you know, um, I think it's, 
you know, I found, I found his, his writings and his books to be really uh, a wonderful divining rod for me. And whether that that's on the page or not, that's always kind of helped me tap into truths. And, and, you know, I don't, I didn't want to make this an impression of him in the least. And, you know, there, it isn't a biopic. It's a, it's a story that is based on, you know, this time in history when, you know, basketball became basketball as we know it and, and a very exciting time in the eighties. And I think it, it delves into areas of all of the characters lives. And, and, uh, you know, I think there's an opportunity to embrace that time. Really. Have you, have you heard it all? from from pat or from from his camp or from people at all on on uh, i know i know some folks have been a little more vocal than others real life folks which yeah we know what we're talking about but i haven't seen any reaction from pat at all he's he's been quiet i haven't yeah i haven't spoken to pat directly about it we we have a lot of friends in common and, and associates in common and and um you know he knows that i'm a big fan and then i uh definitely knows my enthusiasm for this and and that i've been doing a ton of research and so but we you know yeah we haven't been we haven't been in touch yeah well i do i do feel like you're doing him justice so so i do hope that uh, he, he sees that and and i think it's one of the more interesting growth stories of of the season so far and, and seeing pat from point a to point b already as we head to season one finale um been a busy year for you. It's always a busy year. You're you're also in contention this year for your uh, your your scene stealing moments on Succession. Uh, that that must have been fun to kind of uh, go go and play with those folks for a bit and and join join that show, which also is quite a phenomenon. And and play a billionaire at a time where we're nothing but talking about billionaires in the media. So it preceded that, unfortunately. <laughs> Well, there's always been billionaires in the media. Yeah, and there's that's even, true. There's, there's always billionaires in the media. There's well, even more so now. But okay, kind of give me the yeah. quick uh, synopsis on on how that that role all came about and and your experience. Well, I, I tell you, it's it's been such a privilege to get to come and play on Succession. Um, I'm a huge fan of the show and and all the great work that's being done there. And and um, Adam McKay obviously um, is a creatively involved in both of these shows. So as yeah. Max and, and I were all in discussions with, with me coming on to play Riley and I'm doing my research to, to try and understand the man. And they had proposed this opportunity to, to, to play Josh Aronson on, on succession. And I, I, I thought, what a, you know, it's funny when it rains, it pours. It's like, you know, you stay, it's always a busy year, but it's not always a busy year. And, 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 really grateful to have um, had so many really interesting dramatic roles to, and so vastly different to, to delve into. Um, and, you know, that was just a real gift because, uh, you know, like I said, I'm a huge fan and uh, the acting is superb on the show. The writing is superb. And they, they, they crafted that role for me. I had some thoughts and they embellished it based on those. And, you know, the man that I play in that is an amalgamation of several people that I do know and, um, and, and a fictional character, obviously that they've created, but it tonally, you know, I feel like it, I knew 
how I wanted to pick that guy. And, um, <laughs> and it just was really, it's really fun. I mean, it's kind of fun to play someone with that level of power, especially in a, you know, with swimming with sharks that were, you know, really, um, infallible yeah, and uh, through all their, their infighting, they still reigned supreme. And then for him to kind of come in there and be able to, and, in a short moment, disrupt that. And um, I think that's, it's really fun for me, but it's, I think it's fun for the audience too, because they're used to seeing their, their family in a, in a pretty uh, omnipotent uh, setting. Yeah. Yeah. And to see someone who, who has so much F you money that he can, he's, he's not intimidated by them and he can just, yeah, throw, show up and, and just like throw, 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 throw a wrench into whatever they were up to. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, speaking of busy year, I mean, you've got four releases coming out this fall, which is... I'll do it. That's good. You've got Blonde. I'm just buckling down, really? Okay, yeah, tell me. Got, yeah, you've got Blonde on Netflix. You've got the Searchlight uh, feature, See How They Run, uh, with uh, Sam Rockwell, Saoirse Ronan, David Oyelowo. Oya I cannot Oyelowo. pronounce mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Asteroid City. Your your latest Wes Anderson collab, so that sounds like fun. These are all coming out this fall. Apparently, this year. Man, Manodrome, okay. opposite uh, Jesse Eisenberg and Riley Keough. Yeah, and then you're you're currently filming Ghosted, opposite Chris Evans and Anna De Armas. So from Dexter I just wrap I just wrapped my bit on Ghosted, but I am in the midst of shooting something which is wonderful. Just um poker face with ryan johnson which is ryan's new show that he's doing with natasha leone that's really fun all right well, what do you so, uh, yeah what are you what are you playing in that i don't know if i'm allowed to say anything i'm really <laughs> just jumping in so i gotta yeah. i gotta watch it because i tend to <laughs> I'll spill the beans but uh it's fun it's a it's um i don't know it's a kind of mis- murder mystery it's a mystery not a murder mystery excuse me it's a mystery kind of detective-like story that's really fun it's really uh it's so well written so yeah it's all it's all been very uh, exciting that's great and and um I'm, yeah yeah especially coming out of the pandemic it's it's it sounds like it's it's been a good i think run. it's kicked everybody into gear i mean prior to that i i i was very aware of of time and i think it's it's, it's um shared that uh, preciousness and and the precariousness of life that that understanding i think a lot of people have kicked into gear i mean obviously there's there's an there's a need for content and and uh, i'm you know I'm, I'm hoping that the theatrical film world will pick up and continue to prosper because i i do think that that is you know yeah such well, an important it's such an important part of of the work and to share that communal feeling in a in a theater and you know i just think that would be such a shame for dissipate because our habits have changed and obviously the the, the nature of the business has changed a lot but um you know it's a wonderful thing that there is great work and great material out there for not only for creative people in my profession, but for audiences to watch. And so that is exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's more optimism now. I think that it is coming yeah. back. So fingers yeah. crossed. Yeah. yeah. Right. I've got the quick uh, rapid fire, six final questions for you. So here we go. What is the question people ask you the most? Maybe it's something I already asked you. Are you? <laughs> That's the question. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> they don't finish it. Uh. They expect me to. <laughs> <laughs> I had a woman ask me for my photo yesterday, and she said, I don't know your name, but can I have a photo? I said, I'm Adrian, by the way. That's, that's uh, yeah. hysterical. Are you is the, is the question I get a lot lately. Yeah. They want you to say your name. <laughs> I don't know what they expect. <laughs> I am. I assume I am. <laughs> That's funny. What um what TV show in history uh, do you wish most you were a part of? What TV show in history? Yeah, any, uh, every any TV show. show. Oh wow, that's great. Um, that's great. Um, uh, boy, it's a tough one for me to just spin <laughs> it for you. There's a lot of shows. A lot of classics. Um, what was your favorite show growing up? Columbo. <laughs> there you go. We're gonna say Columbo. All right. Columbo was a great show. Uh, what hobby would you be doing if you didn't have your day job? What would you like to have more time to spend? Souping up, souping up muscle cars, which is what I tried to do when I do have a minute time. But yeah, that's cool. Uh, what's the what's the one food you you feel like? And you're... I paint, which is not quite sorry, but I, I do paint. But I, the hobby is the muscle cars. Muscle cars. That's yeah, yeah. that's very cool. What what food do you think you you probably c- can cook the best? What what uh, do you have a dish? Do you have a special uh, specialty when when you're in the kitchen? Uh, yeah, um, I do an amazing. I do an amazing. I do amazing pastas, so I can hook up. I can hook up a, a great sauce from scratch. Okay. A nice gravy. <laughs> and finally, besides your shows, anything you're rooting for this this Emmy season? Anything you've watched over the past year that uh, you're like. This, this show needs attention. What have I seen that I've been loving? I've been really buckling down, so I haven't been watching much right now. Even my, I'm, I'm a little behind on my work, so I wish I could. That's um, fine. I just, I just listed yeah. like seven things you've been working on over the past couple of years. So I know you have not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I really am. <laughs> I would like to have a little. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, uh, that, that. DVR. Like to catch up. Believe me. That's Adrian Brody, star of Winning Time, The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty, now streaming on HBO Max. And that's it for this edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Drew Griffith edited this episode, and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head on over to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest Emmy predictions and key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. For Jazz Tanke, Emily Longaretta, and Clayton Davis, I'm Michael Schneider, and we'll see you on the circuit. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.